This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of The Scoop, an emergency pod, whatever you want to call it. Is it season eight, episode 33? Sure. We're just packing episodes of The Scoop in. Nonetheless, I'm John DeCarlo, the editor of Alscoop.com, joined by Kyle Gauss, Javon Edmonds, and Caden Steele. We are recording on a Monday night because, as you know, by now, Temple and Aaron McKee have decided to part ways with a year left. And as contract, the news broke around, I don't know, 5 o'clock this evening on Monday. Uh, and, of course, you all know by now the Temple had a, a very disappointing end to its season with a 30-point loss to Cincinnati in the American Athletic Conference tournament. So Aaron finishes with a 52 and 56 record as Temple's head coach in four seasons and 0 and 3 record in the American. Temple also had just 13 wins in February and March in, in Aaron's four years at Temple. So they went 13 and 25 during those months, didn't finish well down the stretch. And, and as we all know by now as well, this was a team and a program with NCAA tournament aspirations when they were asked about it. They felt they had the roster. They felt they had the pieces to get this done. Probably the most interesting and maddening season I've ever covered. I mean, if, if you had said at the beginning of the season, uh, Temple's going to lose to Wagner. They're going to lose to Maryland Eastern Shore. They're also going to beat Houston on the road in conference play. And then this is all going to culminate with a 30-point loss in the conference tournament and Aaron losing his job. I mean, they, they've kind of hit every end of the spectrum this year, but here we are covering another coaching search. How many are we up to in the last five years between football and basketball now, guys? Uh, <sighs> uh, well, speaking, I guess, for you and me, John, um, a lot. <laughs> Jeff Collins, then he leaves, and then it's Manny Diaz. And then two weeks later, Gerard Carey. Rod Carey gets fired. Then we have Stan. And then at basketball, it's just... It wasn't. We were not a cup. Like it was known. It wasn't talking to people. That like it was. If Dumphy was going to get fired, it was going to be McKee. Yes. So just football, I guess. Yeah, and we'll get to that. There's actual a mailbag question that sort of pertains to that a little bit down the line. But Caden, uh, Javon, you guys were in Fort Worth. Caden was telling us about uh, some some flight troubles on the way back. But aside from the thirty point loss, uh, how was Fort Worth? Not bad. Um good barbecue and I'd listen I'd, I'd go back just for the food i'll tell you that right now mm -hmm. um i will say all the money that got spent on that trip it's going to be a nice little while before javon goes on another vacation that he pays for i'll tell you that right now <laughs> you know you are getting reimbursed for the trip right yeah but you know not everything's getting reimbursed you know and listen mm. <laughs> that's that's just you know mm. logistic anyways fun time <laughs> But, you know, I'm just going to channel the, the cheap spirit of the Edmund side of my family and say it's going to be a little while before I splurge like that again. Caden? Kind of, go, kind of going off Javon, Javon, I had a fun time with the barbecue and the food and all that. I guess it took a turn for the worse at the end, besides Cincinnati's loss, when my 5 a.m. flight from Spirit got canceled an hour before the flight and I had to rush to buy a new ticket. And before that night, my strategy was to stay up the entire night, so I pulled an all-nighter. Therefore, I did not sleep until like 30 hours later and stayed up for consecutive hours. Did fall asleep a little bit on the plane, 
like Kyle mentioned, I had one of those naps where I felt like the plane ride was two minutes. So I guess that was a benefit of it. But overall, <laughs> a fun but hectic experience. And obviously didn't turn out for, you know, Temple. But it's a good time. Caden's first travel hiccup covering sports. There'll be many oh, more. Okay. I woke up uh, covering a bowl in Shreveport, the, the Independence Bowl. Went to sleep at 4 a.m. Woke up at 6.30 a.m. to say my flight was canceled. And I had to drive to Dallas from Louisiana to fly home. So... We've all had them. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's uh, let's get right into this. Uh, we've got a ton of mailbag questions to get to. Uh, one of the things I want to tell listeners too. I mean, this is literally we're just hours removed from this news. We're going to toss around uh, a lot of names tonight. Uh, try to answer as many mailbag questions as we can. Uh, when we cover a coaching search, we will try to source as much as we can. We're not just going to. With the exception of tonight, you know, when things are fresh. I was about to say, we're going to throw shit at the wall. Well, when we're asked about potential candidates and what we think, we're going to tell you about what we think, why a guy might be a fit, why somebody may not be a fit. And we'll throw that around and we'll toss toss that around and talk about the pluses and minuses, why something may happen, why something may not happen. But as we move forward and covering the coaching search, we're going to try to get you as much reliable information, as much sourced information as we can, but for now, kind of reacting to it, getting your questions answered and uh, talking a little bit about the season, what went wrong, everything in between guys uh, surprised by this, or did you think it was coming? Did you think it was coming this soon? What what, what are your general instant reaction thoughts on this? No, I'm still some words from Caden as he's next to me. As soon as they lost by 30, you knew something was happening. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was just bad business, you know? Uh, Caps off your career with 52 and 56. Never got a win down there in Fort Worth. Uh, you went six and eight against quad one and two this year. And then against quad three and four, you went what? 10 and eight. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm finding the numbers, but that's just, yeah. 10 and eight against quad three and four. I'm, I'm looking at a team that over four years has shot a combined 40.6% from the field, not from three, from the field, that is the most disgusting display of basketball that I personally have ever seen. Um, so it had to come, and icing on the cake was it, it wasn't even the fact that they lost to Cincinnati, and and you know not only was it the thirty point loss, it was the fact that Dan Skillings put the nail in the coffin. The guy you should have had on your campus this year is the one who sent you home. At least the way I look at it, I'm like, if I were an AD and you know how much recruiting has to do with, you know, college head coaching jobs, the fact that the guy that was 10 minutes down the street from you did this to you, yeah, the, the fact that it was skillings, you know, not even to mention the Wogapopoulos of the world, the Dante Scotts, the Hakeem Hearts, uh, you know, that, that's just bad business. Kind of going off Javon, I think uh... – Arthur Johnson's hand was forced that team, you know, had a 16 to six lead to start off that game looked like they could potentially take control. And then they looked flat for the whole game. They struggled offensively. They struggled, you know, on defense as well. And coming in, I thought, you know, Cincinnati would win because they have multiple different scores. They're a deeper team than temple. And I think that proved to be true with skillings and all the rest of the guards that they have. Landers Noli really took advantage, but it's more than just the Cincinnati loss. It's the fact that you finished the year two and seven after you beat Houston. You know, the first time you thought there would be some hope, maybe they could turn the season around. They could start building up the resume, but 
kind of after that second loss or that second match with the Houston after they lost, they went on a really bad stretch. Uh, they didn't look like the same team that beat Houston the first time. Obviously, Caleb Battle, you know, was away from the team. And, you know, that, that relationship, you know, didn't pan out. So Aaron had a lot of things go wrong, I think. And then when it comes to recruiting, like Javon mentioned, that always didn't work out to be the best. And also in the transfer portal, a lot of guys that he targeted didn't pan out to what they had thought it'd be, like Emmanuel Akpomo. And, you know, the list is, you know, long. There's other players that just didn't work out. So it just seems like a combination of things. And he had a, you know, had Aaron McKee in his fourth year and he had to make a decision to, you know, bring him back and potentially extend his contract. And I just don't know how you could have done that after you lose by 30 points and you finish two and, uh, two and seven to finish their year. It was just, it was a lot of different things. And, that led to his downfall. Yeah, I think that part of like every single year they kind of fell apart down the stretch was kind of like the damning stat there where like the first year they started like nine and three and then they finished 14 and 17. And then the COVID year, they started like four and four and they finished five and 11. Like every year it was, they fell apart, they fell apart, they fell apart. Um, To answer the question of like, did I think it was coming? I think we've kind of talked ad nauseum over the last couple of months of like, Barring a collapse, I thought he was coming back. I think two and seven down the stretch and losing by 30 to an NIT team. Not a not a good Cincinnati team. An NIT team that you've beaten this year and they just beat the brakes off you was, let's just say, um, I was gone this weekend. I got home yesterday late because I also had travel problems getting home. I set up a lot of tweet notifications this morning is how I'll say it. I, I expected something to kind of happen today. Um, as the day went by, you started to get a little more like, well, maybe something hasn't happened because why it should have happened by now. I mean, Aaron didn't go to the coaches versus cancer event this morning, which kind of gave you some indication of like, yeah, something might be going on because otherwise, like if this was just like a normal, like, Hey, let's just shoot the shit after, um, after the season meeting with Arthur Johnson, you would think that would have been rescheduled around the event instead of him missing a pretty, pretty public event. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I kind of went back to the Rod Carey being fired. I'm like, okay, they lost on Saturday. He was fired by like 11 a.m. on Monday. It took longer this time because I think they were kind of like discussing and negotiating um, uh, Aaron's resignation and adjustment to his new role. So it's not shocking to me. Um, it had to happen like today, tomorrow, Wednesday. There was no scenario where this was going to drag on like into the tournament. So, so let's get right to the, the mailbag kind of sets the agenda for us here. And I want to thank our listeners. And these are our mailbag questions coming from our basketball message board at alscoop.com. Reminding everyone again, if you haven't subscribed, now's a good time. We will be posting any good, solid, reputable information that we get uh, to our basketball message board first to keep our subscribers in the loop. But uh, all the questions that people are posing here are the things that, you know, we want to we want to talk about regardless here and uh, i think that the the first one is you know something that we've talked about in part in terms of what went wrong down in fort worth uh but tracing this back even further uh the screen name here is matt deebs and his question is what went wrong and we'll trace this back to what went wrong in terms of why didn't this work out um i think it starts with a couple things and in terms of like certain parts of the composition of, of Aaron's staff. Uh, and I, and I say this, I don't say this lightly because I think all of you know how many times we've had people like Chris Clark and Jimmy Fennerty on the staff. And I think those guys are good basketball coaches. I think everyone Aaron had on a staff are good basketball coaches, but 
I think when it came time to comprising his staff, I think Aaron did what, you know, his predecessor and Fran Dunphy did in a way where he thought, okay, I know what I know. I want guys around me who are loyal and going to work hard. Uh, but I think he needed a couple of things on this staff, a few things on the staff they didn't have. Um, with all due respect to Monte Ross, I think you needed a shark, a relentless, connected, experienced recruiter in that associate head coaching position. And, you know, they've gotten their share of some some solid players. But like Javon said earlier at the outside of the pod, we can tick off the long list of players that they didn't get. And it adds up after a while. I mean, Dan Skillings is just one of them, you know. Um, and you didn't have somebody on this staff, unless I can be proven otherwise, that really knew how to coach offensive basketball. I mean, how many times do we see quotes or hear quotes after games, the ball just stuck? Whether you're talking about Caliph Battle taking too many shots or it's not just about that. Um, and I think that even, you know, with all due respect to everyone on that staff, again, even in the off bench roles, you need people who are deeply, deeply connected to AAU programs. Those guys can't hit the road, but they can make calls. And I think it was just a, you know, a combination of those things, you know, and, and for as different in some ways as Aaron McKee and Fran Dunphy can be, they're similar in a lot of ways where they're, they're good men. They're good people. I think Aaron's Aaron will always be a better basketball coach than people give him credit for, but he's a loyal guy. And I think he should have mixed up his staff a little bit more. And I don't think it was for a lack of hard work, but um, you know, that associate head coach spot, some of the off bench roles, I think some things could have been done differently there um, and, and really diving headlong into championing name, image, and likeness. And that's going to have to be a huge priority for the next head coach, whoever it is. But I think when you talk about what went wrong, uh, again, as much as it pains me to say it, you got to look at a couple of different aspects of the staff. That's my answer to this one. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's necessarily a AD, a BCAD scenario where you can point to like, that's the moment where the dam broke. I mean, I think you just kind of touched on a lot of them, like losing Stevie Mitchell to Marquette hurt. Losing Jameel Brown to Penn State hurt. Learn, not getting Ernest today. Uday, Uday, Uday. But you were like the first one in on to go to Kansas. Like all oh, those things hurt, but like they kind of like they happen. Like recruiting misses happen, and it's just they kept happening. They kept happening. And they kept happening. And I think it just was kind of almost set up to fail a little bit in the beginning for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. The fact that they never developed an offensive identity outside of like hero ball, and then even like the games when like they were good offensively, most of the time it was just. Is it Damian Dunn taking over? Is it Caleb Battle taking over? There was never really like a team offensive game, which is something that for all of his flaws never really happened to Dunphy. I mean, Dunphy could coach offense. That's what he did. Even that terrible nine-win team, they were still averaging 74 points a game. Like they could score. And then every single year under Aaron McKee, they averaged less than 70 points per game in today's college basketball. So on 40% shooting. On 40% shooting. Um, so it's just yeah, like I think they, I think you kind of if you were an optimist, you were kind of like willing to look past that because there were times and stretches and months when they defended their ass off and that kept them in games. Um, but then your best on the ball defender left. And there was always just like negative after negative that kind of stacked up and they it felt like they were playing with the cards stacked against them a little bit. The issue might have been that there that they were the ones that stacked the cards. So I I, I kind of want to say something like I I understand why people are like I guess for lack of a better phrase, like relieved that this happened because like you didn't want to go into next year, like thinking like, okay, all of a sudden something's going to change, but this isn't like a happy day for double basketball. 
I don't no. think. Mm-mm. I think like regardless of how like good of a person Aaron McKee was, like it's the end of an era in Temple basketball in the sense of you're essentially Temple football now. Where like they always talk about okay, you had what five coaches going back to like World War II, right? That's not going to happen again. Like it's not. Like what's going to happen is Aaron McKee was your last chance at like sustained success that wasn't going to go. Like I wasn't going to leave the next job. Whoever Arthur Johnson hires, unless he pulls a rabbit out of his hat, convinces Don Staley, like be the first woman head coach in division one basketball history and stay here for the last 15 years of your career. Whoever he hires is either going to be gone in five years because of success, or they're going to be gone in four years because of failure. So like, it's kind of I think I think it's just people have to change their expectations now that this is going to be like a churn through coaches program because unless they can find their way into the Big East by some miracle or unless they can find their way into the ACC by some miracle. Coaches that are successful in the American are going to lead to better jobs. Yep. Yeah. So that's what this is. So like if you were if you're a, like a temple lifer who's hey, I had season tickets for all 24 years of John Chaney and all 13 years of Fran Dunphy, and I was hoping to have like another stretch with this coach. Today ends that fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. And, unless this turns out to be one of those, um, you know, Patriot League or Atlantic Sun type things where, you know, teams around the country think you need at least seven years in a conference like what the Americans about to become before they say we'll give you a chance. That's yeah. I'm with you. This is the the guy that who gets brought in definitely is most likely the last one that stays for anywhere close to a decade. Oh no, yeah, I think I think it's done. I think Aaron McKee was the last chance at it. I think anybody you hire now is just four or five, six, four or five years. If or four years if they're bad, or two years if there's some massive recruiting scandal. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, then like that's not a unique to Temple problem. I just think that there were some yeah. Temple fans out there that thought that Temple was unique in the sense that they were like the Steelers of college basketball, where they only had a handful of coaches and look at this and that's done. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're gonna be um stenciling any more names on the on the court anytime soon. So I'll say that. And I think it's sad. Yeah. It, it's a, just a real quick, Javon. I think it's a sad day too, because and again, like people will call me soft for saying this, but you do you know, you do cover people and it's a, it, yes, these guys get paid either six figure or seven figure salaries and they get compensated well. And, you know, unless Aaron McKee has made some bad financial decisions in his life, I don't think he's going to be hurting for money. He's going to be okay. But this is a guy who wanted it to work out and he's one of the best players in the program's history. And again, I think he's an incredible mentor and I think he's an incredible human being. And I think he knows the game of basketball, but we just dissected what you could have done differently, what went wrong, what, what went right, what went wrong. And uh, yeah, it could have been a great story. It could have been a guy that stuck around. He lives in Gladwin. He's a Philly guy through and through. It would have been a great story. But uh, I mean, there's one guy I can think of potentially on the list who might stay for a while, but I think the rest of them would be guys that would, you know, stay for three or four years. And if they're successful, I mean, Kyle put it perfectly. You're either gone in three or four years because you're successful or you're out in four years because it didn't work out. Couldn't put it any better myself. Yeah, no, I was going to ask because Kyle had mentioned the word recruiting, and it's a question that's been on my mind for the past few hours. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, this this 2023 class only has one player in it, which is Zion Stanford. Mm-hmm. Does the next coach honor that scholarship, or do they throw it to the side and go get someone out the portal because they need a veteran to help them? Well, real, 
Real quick, I think we get to this in the mailbag. I don't think they're going to be hurting for scholarships is how this is going to happen. I don't think they're going to be like, well, we only have two to work with. I think there's going to be plenty of movement from this. Yeah. Historically, it would be if you're like a good program, which like Temple is historically, you're going to honor that scholarship if the player wants it to be honored. Yeah. Like if Zion Sanford's like, I want to come to Temple, then like Arthur Johnson's going to be like, of course, like we signed yeah. you to the NLI, like you can come to Temple. And I'd be if, surprised real quick if Arthur Johnson hasn't made that call already today to Zion Stanford. Yeah. If Zion Stanford says, I didn't commit to Temple, I committed to Aaron McKee and I want out. Most programs let you out in that situation. Like they can release you from, I mean, you saw it with Mike Scott, who was mm-hmm. committed to Temple uh, before John Cheney retired and the hands up at UVA. Like, I, I don't know what Zion Sanford's thinking. I'm sure he's probably getting calls and probably getting some like floaters out there of like, hey man, we'd love you down at wherever. Um we like yeah, we, you, we you can't stuff. tell me that Boca Chica hasn't put out some calls for him either. Like Yeah. No, wow. I mean that's that's that's, that's what's kind of like yeah, that's what's kind of interesting in like the next like I was gonna say a couple of weeks, but in reality the next couple of months of like there's going to be so many people that are looking out for different interests because they need to like Zion Stanford's camp needs to look out for Zion Stanford. Temple needs to look out for temple where I'll just say Matt Langle's camp needs to look out for Matt Langle. Like there's different groups out there that have competing interests, even though they're all kind of playing in the same pool. So yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think I'm surprised honestly we, we didn't get a mailbag question about it, but mm-hmm. I think that ball is firmly in Zion Stanford's court. If he's just like, look, I want to stay home and temple is the best fit for me, regardless of coaching staff, then He'll be in the program next year. Mm-hmm. If not, then like, like if a new coach just came in and was like, look, I only have eight open scholarships and I need nine and like get out of here, Zion Sanford. Like, let me burn a bridge with a local won't, won't go, program won't and stuff like that. Long. It would it would go crash and burn. And I don't think anybody's that like emotionally unintelligent to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, next question here in the mailbag. And this is where we just start getting to looking ahead here from Temple 22 is the screen name. It's very early, but who would be a top five list of candidates you think makes sense, assuming Langle is obviously number one. So, yes, you can see that even just on a national level, just on social media, Colgate's Matt Langle is getting a lot of attention, and rightfully so. Again, if you are new to Temple basketball fandom, uh, which you're probably not if you're listening to this podcast, but just in case you don't know Matt Langle, very good player at Penn. Very good, you know, a, a local guy, very good high school player from South Jersey, um, played from uh, Fran Dunphy at Penn, coached for Fran at Penn, came over with Fran's staff, eventually left to get the Colgate job, and especially over the last five years has become one of the better coaches in the country, really. I mean, uh, and I say that, you know, he's he's now gone to three straight NCAA tournaments, hasn't won an NCAA tournament game yet, but we know how hard it is for like a Patriot league team or an Ivy league team to win in the tournament, but uh, 26 and eight this year, 202 and 173 in his time there, 112 and 42 in the last five years. So it's easy to see why he's a name that comes up Um, depending on who you talk to, would he want the job? Would he stay there? Would he hold out for something else? Um, uh, A source I trust told me tonight that he would be more interested than you'd think. So um, something to keep an eye on um, the the question there. Let me, let's toss this around. What would work? What wouldn't work? He's a terrific X's nose coach, but I think this goes for any, any coach coming in, you know, are you willing to put together a staff that works on a local level, regional level, national level? It's easier said than done. And are you willing to really 
you know, not only ask the right questions of Temple, but say, where are you from an NIL perspective? How invested are you guys in the tough fund and any other collectives that, that take shape? Because it's, uh, it's a different landscape now. Um, but I think if you're looking for a guy, if, if Matt Langle's on, on board with that in terms of mixing up his staff a little bit, uh, the guy can coach his tail off. And I think if he, he knows what has worked and what didn't work at Temple. So uh, I think those are the reasons why he's at the top of the list. Um, I don't want to take up all five here. What, what are some other names that you would make sense to you guys? How do we want to do this? Do we, do we, do we, oh, we're good. do we want to talk more about Matt Lango or do you want to like circle? Yeah, I could, we, we could say, well, yeah. Any other reasons why you think Matt would work, wouldn't work or, you know, and again, we've got other names to get to here, but uh, sure. any other thoughts on Matt? Yeah. I was going to say before Kyle goes, the only thing I'm going to say as like a caveat to who Temple should prioritize is if Aaron's going to be, you know, this special advisor to athletics, that's partially to me from the outside looking in. That's a, can you please get as many of your guys to stay instead of hitting that portal? So the I, next guy. I think that's I, more Aaron had a year left on his contract right. and, and similar too. Similar to, you know, when Villanova may not have expected Jay Wright, different set of circumstances, Jay won two titles, but that's a way of Aaron, you know, like, let's let's give him some stuff to do to pay out the last year of his contract. I, I mean, I would expect Aaron to be a good soldier and try to help go to similar to what, what Jay Wright does, be an ambassador for the university. But I don't think that retaining Aaron in that role is going to make a difference either way on, on right. who stays or goes. I mean, look, let's give credit where credit due. It's impressive that Aaron was able to resolve the grad stri uh, student strike that quickly. So like, <laughs> already getting his uh, money worth there. Um, yeah, I think that's more just like, look, yeah, there was a year left. Figure out something to do. Like, you deserve this. Like, you've earned this opportunity instead of us just straight canning you. Um, my concerns with Matt Langle, like, he recruits like Colgate recruits relatively locally. Like they get Jersey kids. He gets kids from the Philly suburbs. They also recruit like national. Like he has a kid from Seattle out there. That's putting them up. Offense would not be the problem with Matt Langle. Like he does the four in one out dribble handoff offense. They average like 85 points one year. Like he, he can really coach offense. Recruiting is a concern there. And John, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier today was I think if Matt Langle is going to come be, come to temple and be successful, you almost have to like suspend that aspect of your mind where like you can't be like, Oh, well temple missed out on this top 75 kid right, right down the road, blah, blah. Like, I feel like you almost have to recruit to his system. Like, like he did at Colgate just at like a slightly higher level. And I don't know if temple fans are going to be super accommodating to that. Or if Matt Langle is going to be feel like he needs to go outside of his comfort zone where mm -hmm. instead of doing what has worked at Colgate, screw that. I'm back to block one and I got to try to make it work like some different work at Temple instead of just doing what led him to this scenario. Yeah. I think so, that's one of those things where the fans just have to get accustomed to it because that's basketball. Um, yeah. Like it, Basketball is about putting together a team that fits with the system more than right. – Here's just a whole bunch of guys. And I don't think it's fair to ask a guy to come here and just change. Yeah, just go get these names instead of people. No, I, I I completely agree. I think the only – names clearly hasn't worked. So. Right. And, and not going after names and kind of getting guys that you can get and fitting them to your system has worked for Matt Langle. So, like, I, I think we're in complete agreement there. I just don't know if casual Joe Schmo that subscribes to alscoop.com and gets really worked up in game threads is going to, like – 
tolerate that. And like, um, that's not like, like I get it too. Cause like, obviously everything in the ideal world, every college basketball fan in the world hopes that their team recruits the top five players in the nation every year. And they just churn through this. And like, unless you're Duke, Kentucky, some of these like blue bloods out there, Baylor's like, it's not usually happening to that extent. So I'll be curious. I don't, I don't think it's impossible for Matt Langle to fail here. I don't think it's a slam dunk necessarily. Let me, here's something to consider though, as I think about this, is it maybe easier to believe that Matt Langle could be sitting there thinking, all right, if I am offered the temple job and I take it, I do have to open myself up more to like doing whatever I need to do to recruit, really being at the forefront, not the forefront, it's too late to be in the forefront of NIL, but embracing like, yeah, I, I, we we need to get old and stay old. That means hitting the portal more in terms of like, you know, not being as much of a developmental program. I have to, I have to, I can't just go with the same staff I've gone with because whether it's the temple job or other places, I mean, the level of schools that are going to approach Matt Langle, you know, what if, what if Shrewsbury does get the Notre Dame job? It's not impossible to think that Penn state would be calling Matt Langle. It's not, Impossible to think that Georgetown will be calling Matt Langle. So that what Matt Langle will be asked to do staff-wise at Temple is probably the same thing he's going to be asked to do at Penn State and Georgetown. So he's got to be thinking along those lines and, and finding that happy medium. I'm sure no coach in their own right really is super, super thrilled with NIL. They want to be able to develop their guys, have time, not worry if they're going to lose guys today, tomorrow, and the next day to the portal. But you know, I, I'd be surprised if he's not thinking, all right, I am going to have to change some things, but you're right. That's going to be, that'll be the thing that everybody looks at. Is it going to be Fran Dunphy 2.0? Right. Can he coach and not recruit? Whether that's a fair or unfair label, we don't know. Yeah. The concern, I mean, just briefly looking at his coaching staff, you have a guy that played at Penn, uh, a guy that coached at Penn and a guy that played at Colgate. So like, Two of them are like relatively new too. They've only been at Colgate for like a year because like Mike Jordan went down to Lafayette and like all this kind of in between stuff. But like, I I would hope if he gets that Temple job, it's not just Rod carrying and you know, come on down, guys. Like follow me down there. Like you got to kind of completely kind of maybe you take one of them because like you really trust them and you think like I'm like we got to coach the pen. Like you already coached the area, you recruit the area a little bit. Like blah blah. But I feel like most of those have to be like no. Like I got to come into this with an open mind with my staff. What do you think, Aiden? Any thoughts on Lango or another name you want to throw out there as we throw some names around? You yeah, kind of like Kyle said, where I could see if they hire Lango, there might be a Joe Schmo or someone on that kind of gets mad. But I think, you know, he's proven himself at, at Colgate early on. They weren't a consistent tournament team. He got hired in 2011. It took a while for it to build, but his system seems to obviously work. And I think he would have to make some adjustments, but. I think if he was able to build a team where, you know, especially with the struggles of Temple's offense over the last, you know, four years, if he was able to kind of rectify that, I think he would be a good hire. I mean, he's made four tournaments there. He made one in 2019. Now he's made three straight. So I think he's been, you know, a very successful coach at that level. He's kind of as the perennial best team in the Patriot League. And he's got that experience in Philly being, you know, on the staff. So he probably understands Temple. And I think that does matter. He's also got head coaching experience. So I think it'd be a smart hire for Temple if they went down that route. I will say if you, if you could copy and paste the talent level from like this year's Temple team to like a Matt Langle Temple team, I think they would be a better team. 
Like, I think like if he could maintain the level of recruiting that they have now, not to not to been world beaters recruiting, but if they got like that level, I think he'd be able to get them back to respectability. I just have a little bit of hesitancy with that. What were you gonna say, Javon? Uh I was going to say, let's move off the Matt Langle and on to someone else. Because I got other names. I got other names I like to throw around. Yeah, it's just not a, it's not a done deal, you know. And Kyle, no, 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 no. no, I, no, 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 no yeah. I thought it was important. The yeah. like Temple has competitors sure. in the job market right now. Yeah, I think it's okay. a good call out that like we're not we're not doing this segment on Matt Langle because like we know like oh Matt Langle's the next coach. We're just right. not telling you guys like mm-hmm. he's just like the obvious one that has gotten national attention. So it yeah. Makes sense. Um, there's also like the question, John. I think you mentioned on the scoop before. Like I, I know you talked about, but like there would be some awkwardness of him essentially still kind of replacing Fran Dunphy. Mm-hmm. Like that would be a hiccup still. Yeah, I think yeah, potentially, potentially. Like I said, I mean, I've talked to a couple of people about this, and um, they, I did have one source saying, you know, it's more likely than you think. Now, again, we don't know what's a priority to to Arthur Johnson. You know, is he going to be? You know, is he going to be, yeah, they said they're going to cast a national search, something they did not do last time around. It's something that Pat, Pat Craft initially set out to do. Um, but um, yeah, Javon, you're right. They're going to have some competitors, whether it's for Matt Langle or some of the other names we might throw around here. But what what are some other names that come up to you guys? Who else do we want to put out there? Who comes to mind? So, Somebody, yeah, go ahead. You can go, Javon. We know I'm the long shot guy. Uh, so I'm oh, going to some long shots. I'm gonna get it out the way. Uh, someone who's unemployed and whose name I have spent dirt on for years, but for some reason I say it could possibly work out at Temple because the dude could recruit his butt off. It's just coaching in the tournament made me itch. Mark Turgeon's unemployed. Uh, well, I think the concern is he might go to Wichita State, right? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess right now Wichita State is a better job than Temple. I think they're like comparable-ish, to be honest. Yeah, like I, you know, I, like I mean, I know nationally that, perceptive wise, maybe. But they're all not. they're also a potential. Like if you get the right guy in there, and like they really harness NIL, they got big pockets. Yeah, with um the Koch or Koch brothers. Um, so I can see that. But I think just, I think like just from a basketball perspective, they're comparable. But I can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think Turgeon. He could recruit his butt off at Maryland. He just could not coach past the Sweet 16 to save his life. Um, stay in the region is pretty much the same recruiting footprint. And we we know Maryland's gotten some guys, you know, from the area, from the Philly area. Uh, you know, John, you, you used to text me all the time. Is there any chance you can, uh, you know, talk to Maryland and see if Dante Scott will transfer back to Temple or something like that? Um, I said that. Yeah, you said that before. I don't think I ever said could he transfer back to Temple. No, not back to transfer to Temple. Come back home. Same thing. You, no, you, you made that. it sound like I was trying to actively recruit him to Temple. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, he's had success in the region, uh, yeah. recruiting wise. I don't think you know. Well, like that's a. I don't know how much of a long shot it is, but I'm like, as long as we're naming candidates, I don't know if he can be ignored. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good one. It wasn't on my list, but I think I think that's a good one. Um, one of the, I got more. I got ones I think are like actual legitimate candidates, and then I got long shot ones. Um, one that I a coach that I think is gonna ruffle some feathers, but I know from what I've heard that he would be very interested in this job. I'm not so sure how interested Temple would be in him. Would be Pat Chambers. I think would would leave mm-hmm. uh, Florida Gulf Coast for Temple in a heartbeat to get back to the area. Um, obviously, the Penn State. 
tenure kind of um, went up in flames a little bit. But he, if if COVID had happened, he was going to take them to their first tournament since 2011, that uh, in 2020. So that was going to happen. Recruits really well. Um, it's just that would be a lot of if Patch Chambers came to Temple and a lot of people and like had success here, there'd be a lot of Temple people that had to delete some tweets and messages and, <laughs> and voicemails about about what they've said about Pat Chambers in the last decade. Um, a guy who I think is a complete long shot, but I was just actually kind of interested in him. Chin Coleman at uh, Kentucky is like was like the primary recruiter for Aaron Bradshaw out of Camden. Was involved with DJ Wagner out of Camden. Uh, Chris Livington's from like Ohio, Virginia-ish area. I, I think that's just kind of me throwing a name to the wall. The one that I'm interested in, if you want to talk about like an assistant coach coming up, I think Brandon Knight of Rutgers is is a, like a star in the making. He was a he's the AHC at Rutgers. He was at Pitt for a while, played at Pitt, recruits really well to not the easiest place to recruit in the world for basketball. Mm-hmm. Rutgers is the primary for Big Cliff. Montez Mathis was there. Derek Simpson is his. Like there was he can recruit this area pretty well, and I think he would be a name that would resonate in you know, like the AAU recruiting level. I got two assistants for you, Kyle. I'm I'm looking at Jason Williford down there in Virginia. Okay. And I'm looking at Kamani Young at UConn. Yeah, Kamani Young, I heard today too. That that Kamani would be interesting. Yeah. Um, the first guy I'm not super familiar with, but in that scenario, are you expecting him to run like Tony Bennett's system? So from he's the AHC down there. Um, and he's been their lead recruiter too. Like everything you just said about your boy over there at Rutgers has been Williford um, at Virginia. Uh, Before he got to Virginia, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. He took Boston to an NCAA tournament, uh, winning some Patriot League championships over there. Uh, Oh, was he with Pat Chambers at Boston? At Boston, yeah. When when was he at Boston, yeah? His final four years at Boston, the Terriers earned an NCAA tournament berth in 2002 and then participated in the oh. No, that's well that's before, yeah. 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 That's I would say Brandon Knight, I think Brandon Knight would be one of the, the most attractive assistant names that, that you could think of that would, I would think, would get a call. Again, don't know Brandon Knight, don't know if he's interested in the job, but he's done, he's been very responsible, I would say, for for Rutgers' success. And at any region can claim we've got talent. The DMV, as Javondos, can claim that they have talent. There's a ton of talent in North Jersey. And a lot of times, like, Temple's had to go up there to get players when mm-hmm. you have Philly AAU coaches saying, you know, the kids in Philly should be your first and last offer. That's true. But, you know, uh, Quentin DeCozy, you know, I, I know that he never turned out to be a great shooter, but Nate Pierre-Louis was a, good player. Good, was a pretty good player and a good get for them. Like they, they've they recruited well in the North Jersey, New York region. And he's a guy who's connected up there. was a very good college player. Uh, I would think that he would be one of the most attractive assistant names out there, I would think. Yeah, yeah I think uh, there's a few good candidates that could, uh, you know, potentially be of interest. I think, you know, this is what I thought me knowing what Arthur's thinking, but I doubt they're going to get any big time, you know, coaches from the power five school. So I think kind of that's target along the lines of like a Matt Langle, like a young ascending coach from a smaller school. I think Vermont's coach John Becker could be an option. He's won, uh, it looks like five straight. He's been there for a bit though, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Not a He's young been there guy. for a while. Yeah. John Becker is 54 years old. I'm wondering just like if he hasn't left yet, is he going to leave? 
Yeah. Yeah. Good coach. Good yeah, coach. Very good. Very good coach. Yeah. Um, what, how we feel about Speedy Claxton? So Speedy Claxton was, uh, I think I'm trying, I had trouble with Speedy Claxton disassociating like 12 year old Kyle's opinion of Speedy Claxton on the Sixers is like <laughs> that one year is with the Sixers. He comes on late. They need him to kind of apply due to injuries towards the end. He really picked off and they ship him off to the Spurs. So like, I think like he's done a good job at Hofstra, but like Hofstra is also historically like a pretty good program. Mm-hmm. So like it's not that hard to like necessarily win at Hofstra. It's not like he took like people are gonna talk about Keith Ergo. It's not like he took a program that's like historically been pretty bad and like now they're doing okay. Like Hofstra used to win 25, 27 games a year, like fairly often. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if this is just like a recruiting cycle too early for speed classes. Mm-hmm. A recruiting cycle, a coaching cycle too early for speed classes. Yeah, the CAA regular season champion, uh CAA coach of the year. He's a former Sixers backcourt player. <laughs> yeah. Keeping him on the key, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got one for you. Um, coming to this conference next year. So if you want to get a one up on the battle of the Owls and the American, the American's third team in the tournament this year. FAU. Y'all Steve May from Florida Atlantic. How much does he make? I, I get what you're saying. I, I feel like that's rare, right? For someone to go like conference to conference. Like, like, you know, technically, you know, he hasn't played in the American yet. Yeah, I got you. But like, you know? if I'm him, I'm just like, cool. I, I wait three months up there anyway. Like, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Depends on money, like you said. Um, I think Casey Alexander at Belmont isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, I, I wonder what Arthur thinks of what Mike Anderson did at St. John's because he does have a Big East Coach of the Year under his belt, but the Red Storm didn't make a tournament. Um, But they were always just right there. I wonder if he thinks you bring Mike Anderson down to the American, he can get the job done. Yeah, I don't know that Arthur would would hire a guy that just, you know. No, me neither. I'm just, I'm interested in the way he thinks on it. That's Mm -hmm. Dusty May, like, Dusty May makes like 400K a year. I would think that, like, um, Going to the American would probably lead to a pay bump for him, but I don't think they're all of a sudden going to pay him what Temple pays its coach. So mm-hmm. maybe that's not outlandish, I guess. Kyle, you mentioned Keith Ergo at four, yeah. 25 and seven this year, A10 coach of the year. They didn't end up winning the A10, but that's a, you know, even just didn't, you know, doesn't win games. Well, I don't want to say it doesn't win games. It adds to the atmosphere. I mean, they, they really, you know, some people have always thought that, that Fordham was a sleeping giant, New York metro area. Um, they play in a high school level gym uh, in Rose Hill. Charming to say the least, but mm. um, you know, and you can, you know, maybe his detractors might say, well, maybe Kyle Neptune set some of that up, but you can't argue with what he did again, 25 and seven, eight, uh, 10 coach of the year. Real. I mean, they had a, they, their fan base showed up really well uh, up in New York uh, and, and he made them as relevant as they've been in a long time. What what are your thoughts on on Keith? Everything you just said. Where it's like, yeah, it's been one year. Mm-hmm. Was this really Kyle Neptune's team? I'm not like super plugged in enough with Fordham to know like how many of those guys were strictly like Kyle Neptune leftovers and stuff like that. That's the same thing where I feel like I, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, I get look. I'll say it this way: it depends on how you view where Temple is at. Do you view it? Are you viewing this as like, look, whoever comes in? needs to be given, you know, two, three, four years to kind of build up this program again? Or are you viewing it like, look, Pitt turned around really quickly. 
can the right coach come in and like turn this around like like they did with Pitt? If you're viewing it like the latter, I don't think you want to hire a guy like Keith Ergo or Speedy Claxton, who's only been head coach for one or two years. I think you want to hire a either like a guy who is a coach somewhere else has been successful for a while and is probably going to bring people with him, or an up and coming assistant coach who might just be like, let's just pound this recruiting trail and bring in some guys. So I don't know if Keith Ergo or Speedy Claxton are those type of guys. Mm-hmm. I I'm trying to like we can talk about this. I think there's a mailbag question actually that lends itself to what I'm about to say. So yeah, let's move on some other ones. Yeah. Um another one from from uh JHG722. And if you feel like going crazy, five current slash former head coaches and five current assistant coaches who could be candidates. I mean, we've talked about you know a couple of those already in terms of assistant coaches. Um I don't know. I mean, every once in a while you hear the name about him, Fisher on Penn state's name who might be interested in the job, maybe a Nolan Smith that Louisville, um, you know, Louisville has the tarnish worn off. Chris Mack, or is he hireable again? No, no. It's been like a year and a half since he got fired from Louisville. Mm-hmm. There's success there. Mm-hmm. Remember, I was saying Chris Beard until Ole Miss called him up. That's the thing when people were like, I think like, we haven't even said the word Patino yet, which people are obviously going to say the fact that people like, we're putting out there like, oh, Chris Beard or Rick Patino might come to the temple. I'm like, if these guys are all of a sudden like hireable again at like that level, mm-hmm. they're gonna go above temple. Yeah, like Chris Chris Beard was unemployed for three months and went mm-hmm. right to the SEC. Yeah, yeah. Um, next question here from Vanter V A N T R screen name. Where do you think Aaron went wrong? Uh, we already talked about that one. Who's on your short list for head coach? Uh, I don't know if we have our own short list, but again, we've thrown around some of these names um the next one to you owls 37 this was a question i was alluding to earlier is pat craft the worst temple ad of all time so that's a shot that's a shot at um, name me three other temple athletic directors see that's the problem i can't name you three i can just tell you the ones i know and the one who had, had had led to the 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 bad football and basketball that I had to watch during my four years here. Well, at that's, a great, that's a great that's a great segue, John. Great segue I, in I because Mr. Pat Craft, especially stop, stop. before. Let me just stop you before you say anything else that's inaccurate. Pat Craft wanted to do a national search for for a basketball coach, uh, and Pat was preempted on that. Now again, once Aaron got the job, Pat was fully supportive of him, um, but that wasn't. You know, a lot of times, and I, I think maybe this time around, you know, this this will be a more of a, an Arthur hire. You can blame Pat all you want for the Rod Carey hire. He was. Yeah, that's where I was going with. I'm, I'm focusing on the Rod Carey hire. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that Pat did well outside of just coaching hires and in terms of beef, beefing up other aspects of the department. But I think that that TUL's 37s mailbag question here i'm sure part of it's geared at, at rod carry but um this again i i think pat had a very high opinion of aaron but this was more a kevin clark thing let's have aaron succeed him and then pat was saying okay let's check in with aaron see do you really want this this was um i think if things had gone differently and again i think very highly of aaron it was he was worthy of the of the opportunity but you know pat had some names i mean i talked to enough people to know this that pat was ready had to go in a different direction uh to cast a wider net for a national search now again i'm not saying that the guy that pat would have hired in a national search would have worked out either who knows but um 
it, it's this wasn't when it came time to hiring Aaron, that was something that was uh, at a little bit of a higher level than, than Pat Kraft. I'm not wrong on that, right, Kyle? No, I, I think you're you're spot on with that. I think if you're a Penn State fan and if Shrewsbury goes somewhere else, you might go, oh, let me just Google what uh what coaching uh, coaches uh, Pat Kraft has hired. And you got Earl Grant at Boston College who hasn't had a winning season yet. You know, McKee just got fired. You know, Rod Carey just got fired. So I can see that. But, yeah, there's a little more to it than that. But, yeah. yeah I, I was answering strictly from the perspective of a, a young man in the in the age group of Caden and I that had to watch Temple football. Um, for the past few years, and Rod Carey just, you know, did not help Pat Kraft's case, you know, at all. Sure, and Pat would tell you, oh, look, my back was against the wall. Like, I went to Manny Diaz, who also didn't work out, right. and we had blah, blah, blah. But, but, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. Like, I think I think Pat Kraft's legacy at Temple is worse today than it was when he left. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, when he left in, what, summer of 20, like, things were still relatively, right, summer 20? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like at that point, Rod Carey just gonna eat in five. Like, okay, maybe that's gonna be okay. Aaron McKee was still early on in his days, like he just had one season, like he didn't really know yet. And now, yeah, nothing's really looking great in the Pat Craft world. Also, uh, non-revenue sports, like they fired so many non-revenue coaches in the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was was Brian rolling the Pat Craft hire, John? Yeah, it's so that does not help. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I what mean, about I, Nick Volkett? Was that a pet craft hire? Oh, uh, don't know. I, I, still, I don't know. Yeah, see, not, not, couple, not a couple of things to spin off of this question, just to work more relevant conversation here. There are a couple of things I think of when it relates to Pat. Um, one guy who, I, again, I think was probably would have been on his list had they done a national search and the name that kept coming up was Pat Kelsey. Interesting name. Had a, a a really good season at Charleston. He's also known as the guy who accepted the the UMass job and then literally backed out of it like an hour before he was set to be introduced as uh, as UMass's head coach. At the time that Temple might have conducted a national search, uh, Pat was at Winthrop. Again, he's since gone on to Charleston and uh, he's Owen two was a tournament coach, but you know four conference championship, extra seven conference. Uh, yeah, four conference regular season titles. Um, be interested to see if his name comes up for some other openings, and it probably will. Um, the other thing that I think is worth noting when you talk about the athletic director is, you know, if people were wondering, you know, as Arthur Johnson comes in as an athletic director, you know, if you meet Arthur, he's a very nice guy, plays, plays things kind of close to the vest. This is his first time as an athletic director. He's been, an, you know, an associate uh, a deputy guy, a sport administrator. Um, you can give Arthur this. He's been decisive. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when you make the decision to work out something with Aaron McKee, you know, that requires some additional buy-in, I'm sure. But, you know, has not been afraid to make some some tough decisions. And quickly, you know, the, the thing with Aaron could have dragged on. It didn't. Um, you know, he made a decision on, you know, on the volleyball coach, on the women's basketball coach, on the soccer coach. So um hasn't been afraid to 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 make some decisions and prioritize winning. So you can give them that much. There's still a lot to be uh written about Arthur's tenure at at uh, at Temple, but I also just thought that was worth noting when we're looking at that in terms of athletic directors. Yeah. 
And I, I think I, that, that's a perfectly good opportunity. One of the things I was going to say earlier was um, if you can take anything from the football search was like the one thing that Matt Langle may have going against it is like Arthur Johnson doesn't know that Matt Langle was here a decade ago. Right. Like I'm sure he does now because like it was, it's been brought to his attention, but like, it's not like he three months ago was like, well, Matt Langle is the obvious choice here. Blah, 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 blah. The one thing you take from the football co- coaching search is even though he ended up on Stan Drayton, Fran Brown was very much in the mix for that job towards the end. And mm-hmm. that's somebody that Fran, I I would be surprised if Arthur Johnson knew Fran Brown's history with Temple prior to that coaching search. So I think that even when he may, like, he'll tell you, oh, I didn't know that much about Stan Drayton before hiring a librarian. I knew he was at Texas. Even if it looks like, okay, he's just going to hire his own guy, I think he is a little more receptive to maybe like hearing what other people have to say when they suggest mm-hmm. names. And yeah. even with Stan, you know, like he was made aware Stan wanted this job when Rule got it. Um, so like even then, Arthur's got this unique mix of, you know, his own outside hires, but somehow, some way, you know, like they've been affiliated even to the smallest degree with at least wanting a Temple job in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question here is from the screen name Rockland Al. Uh, two-part question. Will Temple be utilizing an executive search firm to locate McKee's successor? And will current members of the Temple team be made available for an interview? Um, we'll see in terms of, of player interviews. I mean, that's yeah. always but doubt it, but you know, we'll, we'll see, see who we can get to. Will they be using a search firm? Always a possibility. I'd be lying to you if I said I knew the, the, the question, the answer to that question right now, but you know, it's always a possibility. They Sometimes. did it for for football, right? I, mean, they, they I believe so. Yeah. yeah, they did it for Drayton. So yeah, um, yeah, and then it's always interesting to you know if if we know the name of the search firm they use, then you can start to connect dots. Not all the time, but like sometimes when you look at a search firm and you look at past people they've been connected to, past athletic directors they've been uh, connected to, so that might lend us some clues. But don't know at this juncture right now if they will. But it's always a possibility. Next uh, screen name here, Fig One is the, the the screen name. Next mailbag question: Can't remember the process all that well when we hired Stan Drayton. How close to the vest will Johnson play this? I mean, short answer is very close. And you know, as a reporter, sure you love when people are talkative, but I think Arthur and Kyle, uh, both of you guys have alluded to this, both Kyle and and Javon. Like, I I don't think that. Arthur will make a super swift decision here. I think he is open to uh, talking to a lot of people. What do you think? You know, being pretty thorough, but I think he is a very thorough and very cautious person. So I would say that he would play this close to the vest. And I'm a reporter saying this. Yeah. If I were an athletic director making this decision, decision, I'd play it close to the vest too. So I think he would play it pretty close to the vest. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this type of thing, it's not like some NFL teams where they say, we just conducted an interview with this person. You know, you're not going to, not going to, not going to get that, uh, that type of thing. Um, what, what TU next screen name here, next mailbag question, who on the current roster do you think might enter the portal after today's news? So this is a lot of, you know, fun speculation here. Kyle said earlier, you know, it would be, you know, it would be uh, blissfully ignorant of us to think that there's not going to be some roster movement after this, whether Aaron stayed or went. Kyle, you already had some fun with this one? Sure. Again, and, th- and this is something I'll say, too. We'll try to source this as best as we can in, a, in an era of where 
you have to recruit, re-recruit every player year after year. But um, I don't know, Javon, you look like you were chopping at the bit to answer this question. Caden's leading toward the mic too as well. I don't know if you guys are just eager to share some some stuff that you know, or that at least that you're you're speculating. I, I've got thoughts. Javon has um, thoughts. And when Javon and has I, thoughts. I feel like Kyle is like not going to disagree, but is going to disagree. You know, I can't, I can't really put it in a much better description. Than that. You've got my interest. It can go either way is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm being negative Nancy. If anyone leaves, I can't see it being transferring up. I just can't. I'm looking at, and, and listen, kids got a great family. He's always been a great interview, lovely guy to cover. But somebody shot 22 of 68 from inside the arc this year. I don't see Zach Hicks transferring up if he's a name. Um, I'm looking at High Seer Miller. You're not dynamic. You're not a scorer. You shot 37% from the field this season, eight and a half points. Okay, well, maybe he made up for it with playmaking. No, average three and three quarters assists per game. Is he going up, especially at his size without the athleticism? Jamil Reynolds, going to have to sit out a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Jane Dizoni, going to have to sit out a year. Yep. Jalil White, you just told your boy Taj Street to come over here. You're going to leave him? You mm-hmm. know. Um, he also didn't hit one single three-pointer this year. Exactly. 0 for 21 from three uh, at a time where, yes, you're not looking for him to, to be uh, a, a monster three-point shooter, but – he was supposed to take a step forward with a shooting this year and, and didn't. Yeah. By the way, the source who told me that guy was knocking down jump shots and open runs. I dug in his case two weeks ago. Cause I just, it, you know, the, the leap that Jalil had supposedly taken this summer just was non-existent. So yeah, me and buddy had a good conversation. Um, <laughs> Nick Jordan, maybe he transfers down into someone's small ball center and can excel in that role. I can see that. Damian Dunn is the one that gets interesting right. to me. Damian Dunn would transfer up. Do you come back and cement your legacy without the guy who gave you a chance and was recruited you before your home school recruited you? And mm-hmm. matter of fact, he shared the story with us. He was down in Indianapolis and wasn't even looking for you, then discovered you and abandoned his plan and said, yeah, I want this Damian Dunn kid. Like, mm-hmm. And you're his first recruit. Do you stay here now that he's no longer the coach? Is that uh, what? So, that's, that's what Aaron said a couple weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, the way Aaron told us, he was down at Indy for a tournament. He's looking for one kid, and then he saw Dame on Stackhouse's team. Like, it's pretty decent. I'm going to come back later on today, watch him again. Yeah. Watch yeah. him. Oh, yeah, this kid's good. Let me get mm-hmm. on the phone with Jerry. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Called Damien's dad, had good rapport with him, and then started mm-hmm. talking to Dame and was impressed with everything he's heard. Mm-hmm. And Dane wound up being the guy. Um, mm-hmm. So, with that being the case, does Dane come back and still try to submit himself as a Temple Ring of Honor or at least Temple Athletics Hall of Fame? Who knows? Does the university mean that much to him, or does he have some NIL money waiting for him somewhere else where he can start supporting his family? He, he is a father now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's interesting. And then, wild card. There is. One universe, let's say if there's three billion universes out there, I wonder if there is one where a new head coach comes in and says, Mr. Battle, 
I'll say this if KB decides to come back to Temple, then he's getting the worst advice in the world, man. Like, go make money somewhere, whether yeah. that's at South Carolina or whether that's in Ukraine. Syracuse. Like, go Europe or go be a hired gun. I don't think there's anybody on this roster outside of Jamil Reynolds, Shane Dazoni, and Taj Thweed who would have to sit out a year that I would be surprised if they leave. Even mm-hmm. prior to Aaron McGee being terminated or resigning, stepping aside this year to today, I started hearing names this morning of these guys might might be interested in leaving or these guys might consider the transfer portal. The question is, were they considering leaving the trans- entering the transfer portal because they just needed money or they needed that or they were just disenfranchised with Temple and Philadelphia? Or was it because of the coaching staff? If it's the latter, then maybe those guys go, okay, I'm at least going to – I'll give this a couple days, start to see what names get floated out there. Let me let me talk to Arthur Johnson. Let me see if I hear anything. If they're just already out the door or they were like constantly like low on the fence, then this should just push them out. So I think there's going to be – four or five, six guys that leave just because it's a regime change. They're recruited by one staff mm-hmm. for one system in one era. And now it's completely different. You're going to play for a completely different coach and a completely different system. And I don't think that I think football, a lot of times you can almost have more people stay from one regime change to the other basketball. It's just rip this things down to the studs, man. Mm-hmm. Caden, what do you think? Yeah. Kind of going off what Kyle said. I don't think there's anyone on the roster that, that is definitely a must-keep guy, especially I think the ones I'm watching out with was the supposedly supposed to be that next trio of like kind of your three players that you expected to grow with the program, Zach Hicks, Julia White, and Heisier Miller. I'm maybe more inclined to think Heisier might stay just because he's from Philly. Maybe they'll give him some type of initiative. But I think, especially for Zach Hicks, a guy that came into this year with a ton of expectations after you know he flashed as a freshman, especially shooting, had the whole Delaware State game. He had also other moments where he really flashed. But like Javon mentioned, was it 22 of 61 from inside uh, the arc this year? 22 of 68 from inside the arc. So just the fact that he struggled that much, maybe a good, you know, going down to a different level, maybe like somewhere in the A-10 would be a good change of scenery for Zach Hicks. I think Julio White is on kind of on the same boat, although he's a really good defender. Hasn't taken that next step as well. So I think those three players I think are interesting to watch. And then guys like... Deuce Roberts of the world, you know, does that next coach really want you? Is he actually going to play here? He wasn't heavily recruited. Aaron took a chance on him, but is he going to stay? Guys like that, I feel like, you know, Emmanuel Pomo, like, what does he really? Oh, no, add him to my list because he's already transferred. So I don't think, I think he'll just continue to stay. You know what? I do think somebody could see some type of value in Pomo because he plays hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my yeah, but my theory is he, he would have to sit out, right? Because he's already used his one time waiver to get here. So yeah, no, I'm saying, like, I don't think he, I'm good. saying if he stays, I can see somebody seeing some use for yeah. him as Vanek mm-hmm. up center because yeah. he's got size. He plays hard. He can run the floor. Yeah. He's got range. But here's he's here's, here's look, real quick. Devil's advocate for the Zach Hicks thing. Maybe if you're Zach Hicks, you're saying, okay, I like Temple the University, and now maybe I'll be in the system where they actually know how to give me open shots. That's the thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I think the the thing that it, depending on how quickly this comes together, I would imagine that anybody who's coming in, whether it's Speedy Claxon, whether it's Matt Langle, whether it's um, anybody, they probably see a lot of value in like any, but just like any coach coming in. Well, maybe this guy wasn't utilized properly. I mean, we know that Zach Hicks can shoot. And yes, like Javon, you're not wrong. 
22-68 inside the arc. Some of that's got to be on Zach Hicks. But what could a coach who runs a better offensive system do in terms of getting Zach Hicks better shots? You know, what could, and I'm not saying that Aaron, of course, when everything came unraveled on Friday, you had Jaleel hoisting threes, Nick Jordan hosting th- hoisting threes. They were up 16 to six. They looked like they were doing everything wrong. And they came unraveled. I'm sure any new coach will come in and say, hey, I think Jaleel White can play in the American. I think Zach Hicks can play in the American. So I do think a new coach coming in would see value uh, in, in, in some of these guys. So, um, yeah, any any coach that's worth his his whatever his weight that is interested in this job is currently scouting Temple's roster. Oh, like that's what they're that's what they're doing as part of the interview process. They're mm-hmm. going through this: who they have on here, what can I do for the interview, blah blah. And they're not watching thirty two games worth of stuff. You're kind of just saying like, who's Zach Hicks? Let me look at it. And the first thing you're going to see is the Delaware State game where he dropped ten threes, and they're going to go, "I want that guy on my team. Like I can work, I can build this offense around that type of player." Or even, I mean, just, I mean, mean, it's one thing late in the shot clock, but on Friday and he's put in an impossible position can still, I mean, he can shoot the ball regardless of who he's shooting it against. Um, Tying into that, another mailbag question from Diamond and Broad is the screen name. How attractive do you think the Temple job is? Do you anticipate them hiring a head coach from a lower conference or a top-notch assistant? Uh, The second part of that question, we've we've talked about that a lot already, Uh, but this is a good one. How attractive do you think the Temple job is? I think it's an attractive job. Do I, do I, is it, it's not a big East job. Uh, people like to debate this one, but look at the end of the day, people will tell you there are only certain, uh, there are only a finite number of head coaching jobs available. Plenty of people will be interested in this job. The facilities are, I think we can safely say above average. They're not like elite level, but the facility is nice. They just got a brand new weight room. Uh, like, you could do worse than the temple job. You can say what you want about they're in the American. It's not a fit. It's not a regional fit, blah, 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 blah. I get that. It's still the good conference. You're still look. I mean, I, I was saying this, Kyle, I think you and I were saying this, like, yes, you're losing Houston. You're losing Cincy. You're losing UCF. Um, and I'm going to sound like I'm crapping all over the a 10 here. Maybe I am. Uh, I don't, I watched a fair amount of the, of the Atlantic 10 tournament for whatever reason. Uh, Tulane could have won that tournament. Memphis would have cleaned that tournament up. Temple could have won that tournament. Temple could have won that tournament. Oh, 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 oh. Who won that tournament, Javon? Who won yeah, the tournament? Yeah, yeah, BCU. Yeah, yeah. BCU was the best. BCU My, was the best team in that conference all year. Won the yeah. tournament. Temple beat them. Yeah, I mean, it, you know. I, I think a second time around with an yeah. East ball when that is pleased. I've watched. I've, John, I've watched more A10 basketball than you in your life. I assure you. That that conference is a shell of itself. Yeah. Um, But I think it's, you know, my point is even again, I'm not trying to minimize the loss of, of Houston and Cincy UCF more of a football loss than a basketball loss. I think we can all agree upon that, but it's still a good league. And you know, again, I'm not sure how long FAU and the North Texas's of the world are going to sustain their, their basketball success, but you can do better than the American. And I know fans are going to say, I don't want to hear that. I, w- I, w- I want to be in a conference where, where you say we can do better. You know, you can do better than this. I get that. But I still think it's an attractive job. How do you guys feel about this one? I think there's a good TV deal. I think you're, if you're a basketball coach, I would hope you love the game of basketball and you got some knowledge of history of basketball. You're in a basketball town, which so happens to be a top five media market. At a program that's now what the seventh most winningest in college basketball, with 
some good history behind it with, you know, two Hall of Famers and Harry Litwack and John Chaney. And they've had some players to come out of this program. You combine all that as a basketball junkie. Oh, yeah, I'll take this job before I move into a power five. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a good job in the sense of like, let me rephrase this. I don't think it's such a great job that you're like, well, if Matt Langle has Notre Dame and Temple, he's not just going to immediately take Notre Dame. Like, it's not at that level. You're not going to outbid like Georgetown or, or Notre Dame for the same coaches. I think it's a good enough job that college basketball shows you over and over and over again. Good coaches can win anywhere, right? You can go to some random Bumble uh, University and make the NCAA tournament and blah, blah, blah. Facilities are decent. Uh, recruiting base is good if you can finally find a way to tap into it, which Temple hasn't been able to do that well in a while. They got a little better towards the Aaron McKee, but in general, um, conference is good enough, but also not so good that you're like, oh, we're never going to beat this team and be able to do this. It's like, it's like if if I'm football, if somebody offered me the Illinois job, I'm like, they're in a great conference. I'm never going to beat Ohio State and Michigan. There's nobody in the American in basketball, even even tip of the hat to, to Penny at Memphis, that you're like, oh, that team's always going to win this conference. So, like, mm-hmm. there's a path to success there. I think it's going to be, as far as I know, I'm probably getting my head chomped off for saying this, as far as some of those, like, mid-major-ish programs go openings go it's going to be one of the more attractive ones um this offseason all that being said temple by no means is set up it's not some well-oiled machine that like you can just plug in somebody and they're for sure going to be successful and it's more the program than the coach they need to make the right hire and if they make the right hire there's nothing preventing temple from going back to the tournament and you have the beginnings of an nil collective and the tough fund that is starting to pick up some steam you know um it's more than some programs have. Again, it's going to have to be, you know, a, a thing that has to continue to grow. And again, I'm sure that any coach looking at any job anywhere now, whether you're looking at Temple, whether you're, you know, if it gets to that interview stage or, or it gets to the the stage in the interview and we say, what questions do you have for us? Like, yeah, what's what's your commitment to name, image, and likeness? What uh, What's your commitment to this, that, or the other thing? Um any coach I think is going to be asking about that, whether they're interviewing a temple or any other place. Um, but I still think it's an attractive enough job. Now, again, if it's, you know, if Matt Langle is choosing between, again, this is all purely hypothetical, you know, if Matt Langle's choosing between, you know, temple and the big East and he's, you know, attracted to a big East job at Georgetown. Yeah. Maybe he goes with the Georgetown job. Uh, and maybe he decides uh, I've done temple once in my life. I don't need to do it again, but um I still think it's a certainly an attractive enough job. Uh, I will say whoever this next head coach is to kind of put a bow on this. I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned NIL, John. Uh, Going to have to do some real talking to these alumni to get them to start coming out of pockets because that's just the way. That's kind of the way to win. Uh, you can't buy a team. However, you know, having some money to attract some people kind of helps. Um, and, and it's not like you're trying to attract people anymore you're trying to attract and retain them you know college college sports has very much become uh you know in an essence like a marriage like yeah you can you can have your wedding day you know you sign that letter of intent but uh you know, <laughs> each year each anniversary you got to keep coming up with something new to keep miss lady around you know keep dating your wife john yeah, keep, keep dating, dating your, wife. your wife and that's that's kind of how NIL is. yeah i mean i think it's 
that, I think that's a good point. Mike Jensen had an article in the Enquirer today that was kind of about that, where it was like Temple needs to change some things. It's not just Aaron McKee. Like Aaron McKee failed for sure. Like I think he would tell you he failed. He was a blow five hundred coach, but like it wasn't entirely on the coach and coaching staff. Like Temple itself also needs to support Temple basketball more. And looking ahead, we will have another. Um, we'll have more coverage for you this week. Just. Uh, uh, heading into maybe another episode that we might do this week. Uh, again, this was an Aaron McKee exclusive podcast, but um, you know we'll, we'll get this out tonight. We will be talking to Stan Drayton tomorrow, just for all of you football fans out there. And we've got plenty to ask him because I think uh, since the last time we oh, recorded, yeah. <laughs> Temple lost a really good member of its coaching staff. If you're an Eagles fan and you and you read a few things about DJ Elliott, you're excited that he's. The Eagles new linebackers coach really bad news for Temple at this juncture uh, of the season in terms of them heading into their second week of, of spring practices so stay tuned for more this week more basketball coverage more football coverage thanks for joining us for the Monday night pod Kyle you look like you want to say something to, to send us off no it's chewing a cough drop oh all right Caden <laughs> uh, uh, Javon any any closing thoughts any words of wisdom uh I've been hearing NyQuil and cough jobs from Kyle for the past few weeks. Oh, dude, it's been wild. <laughs> I'm on antibiotic now. And I feel a lot better. So, but dude, it's just kids. It's constant, man. Right it's, uh, but you know what? We hammer through it. We play through it. It's like that time of year where nobody's 100%. All uh-huh. right. You're in game 140 of 162 game season. <laughs> We're just trying to get to the playoffs, man. Talk to me now. Come on. I got a big road trip coming up starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow. So, no time for the, the IL. It's wedding season for Kyle. Wedding season, baby. If that doesn't make you want to run through a wall, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's going to be me and uh, Hemingway's cats for the next week. <laughs> he was. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on for an, uh, a special edition, another emergency episode of, of The Scoop uh, with a coaching search and coaching search coverage ahead. So stay locked into alscoop.com and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>